Mini-episode 1428 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at Sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You'll want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late-night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini-episode 1428. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris with you, and we have a very special guest with us today here talking about the upcoming national championship game in college football this coming Monday night at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis between number one, Alabama, and number three, Georgia. This is a gentleman that we had on the show previously, uh, mini-episode 769 back in October 2016. And uh, somebody who uh, we'll be talking about today will be drawing upon his insights uh, as a football player uh, turned sports media analyst, uh, having played at Rutgers and uh, now with uh, he has uh, delivered uh, expert uh, commentary to uh, the likes of ESPN, Sirius, Big Ten Network, Rutgers Radio. But uh, that sells short, uh, really, the human story if we just talk about that part of it. So in this intro here, I want to get into this as well. Our guest today, Eric Legrand, uh, he is a noted uh, philanthropist, among many other things, uh, from what happened from his time at Rutgers uh, when he suffered the spinal cord injury that he did and kind of put him onto this whole other track in life. And uh, to be able to go on and uh, do, quite frankly, a lot more than uh, a lot of people who have a full range of faculties uh, available to them. It's just extraordinary everything this gentleman has been able to do. Uh, his uh, team, Legrand, uh, philanthropic work, his clothing brand, Shop 52 with the Role Model Series, Legrand Coffee House, uh, doing a lot of work as a motivational speaker, two-time author, The Victorious Story of Eric Legrand, and Believe, My Faith in the Tackle That Changed My Life. Uh, it is a great honor to have back on the show a recipient of, among other things, uh, a number of different awards that come his way, but uh, one of the ones that got more pop culture attention, I think, was the Warrior Award, uh, which is uh, an inspirational award uh, named after the precepts of the Ultimate Warrior that was bestowed upon him uh, WrestleMania weekend, I believe, in 2015. A great honor to have back on the show, Eric Legrand. Thank you so much for making time for us today to talk about the upcoming game, sir. How are you? I'm doing awesome. I appreciate you guys having me on. It's a real pleasure, sir. Uh, I, I really uh, can't stress it enough. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting your insights on what we have to look forward to here. Uh, I know that uh, just on the surface of it, uh, there there's a thing where it, some people kind of find this jarring, some people don't. But the, the, the notion of Georgia, I think, presently now, being about a field goal favorite over uh, Alabama. They were, of course, a fairly solid favorite going into the SEC championship game, uh, having a dominant run, looking like the undisputed number one team in the country for most of the season. And then Alabama, with the vertical game, really kind of taking them apart in a way that a lot of people didn't see coming. I got to say, myself included, uh, going into that day. So the notion that Georgia returns to the role of favorite, albeit a slight one here, when Kirby Smart hasn't been able to get over the hump playing Alabama over this period of time, 
Uh, what do you make of it? Because I, I kind of understand it on one level. To, to me, it's one of the more intriguing aspects of this game of all the different ways that could go both ways, if you will, including Georgia potentially getting over the hump, which is what the wise guys seem to see. Well, I love the storyline that's actually being set up here. Think about it. Alabama has already proven that they beat Georgia, and now there's still a, a field goal underdog, and we know what Saban did last time. <laughs> A rat poison. Yes. I'm calling them an underdog, and you know what the teams do when you can call them underdogs. So I love how it's being set up for Alabama. Then you look at Georgia. Yes, they're favorite, but guess what? They got the mindset of we lost to these guys already. So they're not looking at them as being a favorite. They're looking at the underdog because they've already been beaten by them. Yes. So you have two scenarios that are lining up where teams thinking that they're the underdogs coming in. So guess what? We're set up for some. Hard notes, you know, everything laying out there on the line. SEC football that's going to happen. And I think it's going to be one of the better national championships because of the storylines that are being set up here. Well, it's got a lot to live up to uh, based on what happened uh, four years ago when they met in Atlanta. Uh, that was uh, an unforgettable a national championship game with Tua coming off the bench to get it done. And I want to drill down on what you just said there because it is a very interesting point uh, in terms of, yeah, it almost doesn't seem fair to make Saban's team uh, the underdog for how much hay he's going to get to make of that. But uh, on the other hand, you know, Georgia, they have to prove that they can get over this hump. They have to prove they can beat Alabama. It's a long losing streak there. Kirby Smart hasn't gotten the job done since he got uh, to Georgia, notwithstanding recruiting at an elite level and being very comparable when you look at the two rosters here in terms of five-star and four-star players. But it's also a thing where Georgia knew in the SEC championship game, right, they had a cushion. They could lose that game, still be in the playoffs with the setup now, and this does show how, uh, again, the bigger you have a setup. I, I was a, a, an advocate for uh, the, the four-team playoff well before uh, they even did it. And uh, I, I, me personally, my preference has been not to go beyond that because I don't want to devalue the regular season more than that. But it is a thing where I'm not sure you would have had that back in the days of two teams making the playoff of where you could lose that game and still be sure of being uh, having able to have a chance to play for the national championship. So Georgia had a little bit of a cushion there. There's been some kind of speculation that they may not have gone completely all out in case they were going to have to play Alabama again, hold some stuff back. Does any of that ring true to you as a former player that you would be in a situation where you may hold some things back because it's not a necessarily a must-win game and you may face them again? Absolutely not. I okay. Don't play into any of that. Okay. As a football player, that. Uh, that grew up, you know, on hard work and, and you know, you earn everything that you, that you get out there on the football field. Playing for a guy in Greg Sheehan, mm-hmm. you know, there was no, it doesn't mean all that. Oh, there's a cushion that if this happens, no, it was every day bringing your, you know, shovel pail to work and you, and you, you work your butt off for everything because if not, you won't be rewarded. And I feel like being Kirby Smart, he's one of those types of guys that when he came up under, uh, under Nick Saban. And I don't think Nick Saban is one of those guys as well. So I don't see them not saying, oh, I know we have a bit of a cushion here because you never know what could actually happen. And then we, you know, an injury, you know, mishap, this team, this team, what if the committee picks this? You just don't know. You get upset in one of those games. So I think it was just those big plays down the field that Alabama has shown year after year, even when they're down, they can strike back 
in a matter of three seconds, a three-play, 75-yard drive, one minute off the clock. You know, that's just their, been their ability for years. So I don't play into that whole, you know, I, we, we can play with a cushion. I still believe that Georgia gave it their all that game and unfortunately came up short. But, hey, they're gifted another opportunity, and I'm sure they'll be doing as much study and film work and trying to be toned in and tuned in on the practice field all week long to get ready Oh, absolutely. And uh, that's, more, by the way, that's the answer I thought you were going to give. Uh, I didn't really believe in the whole cushion thing myself here of, you know, we can afford to lose. I, But you know what? But you've heard it too. I'm sure you've heard people speculating that way that, uh, you know, that might have been a, a facet. And that's why I wanted to ask you. I wanted to get the opinion of somebody that had uh, played the game and, you know, had sort of experienced this. You just made a point now about uh, Alabama's ability with the vertical game, which that was the key thing in the SEC championship game and the ability to sort of, I don't want to say expose Georgia, but it is a thing where year in and year out, right, you've got Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State, those are sort of the perennials, maybe Oklahoma, that are recruiting at that level and that have the blue chip athletes. And Georgia probably didn't play another team throughout the year that was really comparable to Alabama. So it is interesting that the one time they faced a vertical attack that was that lethal, it was able to pick them apart. Now, Alabama comes into this. They're not going to have John Mechie available. But there's been some speculation, people pointing at the Rose Bowl and saying, hey, Ohio State, look at what their receivers were able to do when they get in there. And it does seem to me to be comparable with Alabama with their depth, that uh, obviously you're going to kind of key on Jamison Williams, but that may open up some spots for the other guys here too, and that they may be able to thrive if Georgia goes a little bit too much on trying to contain Williams. How do you see that playing out? Because that, to me, could be one of the most critical aspects of the game on whether Alabama can can replicate the deep game that they were able to do in the SEC championship game. Honestly, we're going to have to do your head right on the nail right off the top of the head with the hammer because it is that vertical game. Just think about this. Year after year, you just mentioned how these are just perennial teams just couldn't continue to recruit. Guy after guy after guy, obviously being in the Big Ten records. I see it at Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Year after year, they just, re, just reloading, reloading. Fast back, let's retract back to that game that you brought up when Georgia played Alabama. Who caught that game with a touchdown? That's Tom right. Smith. That's right. Was he, third or, was he third or fourth on the roster? Next? Yeah. And then look what his career turned into. So this is one of those types of games where we could see a moment just like that for Alabama because just year after year, it's just another guy, another guy, another guy. And just that that position group just seems to be, you know, where they reload at almost probably the strongest. It's year after year, first-round pick after first-round pick at that position group. Someone's stepping up in a big moment, making a name for themselves. And then we, next thing you know, next year you see them as the number one receiver or number two receiver on the depth chart. So that's what Georgia has to deal with. Can that defense now try to rattle, rattle Bryce Young enough where he's not able to throw it up deep? Can they get pressure on him? Yes, he can use his feet. So that defensive line of Georgia must stay disciplined in their pass rush lanes and win their one-on-one battles when other guys are getting double teamed. That's going to be key here. Because if they let him scramble around and find targets down the field, it could be a long day. Yes. And in terms of the pass rush, because uh, that's an excellent point, when you go back, this was a, a statistic I'd come across today. Uh, I'm paraphrasing the statistic, I should say, but that basically there was a big difference in the SEC championship game uh, when they were blitzing versus when they weren't blitzing Alabama. And that uh, actually 
there was a little bit more difficulty getting things done for Bryce Young when it was the pass rush coming, when you had the uh, the blitz. And, and the notion that you could possibly have the ability to try to bring the heat there without getting exposed. And that kind of leads me to, with, with Brian Robinson, with the very excellent game that he had uh, in the uh, Cotton Bowl there, do you look for a little bit of kind of play action usage now that he seemed to kind of be coming back pretty good to try to keep Georgia on their heels? Because it would seem to me that would be the one avenue that you might be able to take to kind of offset that. Yeah, that's what good coaches do. I think very early in the game, they try to establish that line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. They see which way that, that, that stands. Is your, is your offensive line getting pushed and moving guys or is the defensive line getting penetration early? You know, it's a part of those where the offensive coordinators coming up with the big games like this. Let's see who's establishing the line of scrimmage off of these first 15 plays, and this is how we're going to react. If you're getting pushed, you're getting movement, that's going to open up your play action game so much more later on in the game. Right. If you're not, if you're not, you have to go to that passing game a lot faster. And, the, and depending on the penetration that they're getting, you know, if they're blitzing, you might not even be able to do a play action game because you're going to have to keep that back in. To block and not even be able to get a fake off. So these are the things that are always I'm gonna tell fans to look out in the very beginning of the game, which way that line of scrimmage is falling, and then try to base your game, okay, this is probably how this game, this game is gonna be called this way, or if it's gonna be called that way, based off of who's winning the line of scrimmage battle on those first three, four, five plays. That's a very good point, and what I kind of wonder is, and, and, and this might be almost, you know, matrix or through the looking glass levels of overthinking here, but the fact that what I just quoted you, that uh, Georgia was more effective on the instances that they did blitz in the SEC championship game versus when they didn't. I mean, if you're Kirby Smart's uh, coaching staff, are you looking at it like, well, they know that we know we might need to blitz a little bit more, so they might be taking that into account. So, you know, the whole thing of like automatically blitzing more, that they might be ready for that because you're not going to get anything past Nick Saban. I mean, I wonder how that goes in these meetings here if they spend time thinking about what the other team might have learned from that and that, oh boy, we might not be able to exploit this as well as we think because if we're seeing it, they're seeing it. Yeah, I love the buying games that go into, you know, thinking that, oh, yeah, they saw this and they saw, okay, we have to do this. Or, I, know, I know the personality of Nick. Or I know the personality of Kirby. They're going to do this. I love when that comes into the game. And then at the end of the day, you hear coaches say, but it's true. You have to play Georgia football. You have to play Alabama football. If I'm Georgia, I try to get pressure with my four, my front four, or front three, you know, coming with that. Because if you, you need as many guys in the back as possible for the Alabama's talent. At the receiving level, you don't want to be deep again. If that's not working, then you hope that you can dial up blitzes that may confuse Bryce Young with your coverage in the back. Whether if you're showing the blitz or you're disguising it with your safeties, mix something up, try to give him something that he hasn't seen yet. Bryce Young is a special talent. He knows what he's doing. He's probably seen a lot. And that's where your job, that's where you can pay the big bucks as those coordinators to try to come up with stuff that he hasn't seen, try to confuse young quarterbacks out there and try to make them make that one or two mistakes of a game that can change everything. So I'm coming right away with my just my front guys in the beginning. If that's not working, you got to dial up special blitz packages where you try to get Bryce Young confused on that Georgia side of defense. 
Yeah, and you got to believe that they're going to be drawing them up and uh, trying to make that work there versus uh, on the other side of the ball again. So you've, you've got Young on the one side, obviously, as uh, the Heisman Trophy winner and, and a relatively decisive one based on the kind of year that he had. And I will say also, too, I think relative to other years, perhaps the thinness of the field, but that's not to take away from anything that he did because he was uh, truly extraordinary this year versus everybody looks at the whole thing in terms of the uh, the credentials, the pedigree of Stetson Bennett, and that's where people get a little bit kind of impatient with him when things don't go well, as was the case in the SEC championship game. And I, I know a lot of times it's oversimplification just to look at the two quarterbacks and kind of give the edge right there uh, to the people that are picking Alabama. I would have to believe that that factors in really somewhat there as far as somebody who feels like more of a known commodity based on pedigree. Uh, but uh, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, again, you, you look at what happened where Georgia came out like a cannon, basically, against uh, Michigan and really just kind of laid it to them. And it felt like they got their legs underneath them and they were comfortable. I wonder how important you think it is, Eric, for them to get off to a strong start against uh, Alabama with all this playing in here. Any of the thoughts or potentially doubts that some have about Stetson Bennett and the whole notion of you want to avoid, I think, oh, here we go again. Yeah, you definitely don't want that mindset to sit in there. I think Kirby Smart knows if they do get down early, I think he has enough guys and leadership on that team to pick them up. But you never know, and these kids are 18 and 22 years old, so that, that mindset could creep in there. When it comes to Stenson Bennett, the type of player he is, he is best, I feel like, when he's able to move his feet and find ways to get move around that pocket and step up, make big plays, step up, make big plays with his feet. On the ground game, I feel like he has to be smart. On the overs, over try and try to you know snuff something in there, but in order for them to win, he's going to have to make some big plays. Whether that's with his feet, or whether that's a deep ball, or whether that's even dropping it off and letting some of your playmakers make plays. I love how they had you know running backs to receive the ball. We saw Cooks made the way he dropped that ball for Cook on that that pass up the sideline uh, that that gave us Michigan. It was just a beautiful throw, and when stuff like that happens. You know, you're like, wow, look what we got here. So we're not only getting our running, our running backs involved in the running game, we can also use them in the passing game. And we know Alabama likes to pin their ears back sometimes. So guess what? Draw that screen game up. You get that man-to-man covers. You play it off, drop back, and you little three-step drop, and dump it over their heads, and that's your running backs do the work. Is it safe to say that the screen game uh, might be one, really one of the most decisive elements in this? Because we already kind of covered it a little bit with uh, Robinson on the other side of the ball, and that that might be something that keeps uh, Georgia from uh, wanting to take advantage and blitz a little bit more, which they didn't do in the SEC championship game. But I almost have the feeling, looking at this here, that uh, whichever team can hit those screens better, I think would be the decisive uh, favorite to win the game. The screen game is, is, a, is a huge factor of games because – Especially teams that like to play man-to-man coverage and they like to, you know, send send blitzes from time to time because you have your ears back and you're reading that you're that you're going out to a quarterback and as a defensive player, yes, yeah, so you but you you get to feel as a defensive lineman when the lineman kind of switches off of you, they block you, block you, block you, then they release. But sometimes it's a little bit too late. If you get an initial good jump off of that ball, you're going. Right. You're going full speed towards it. But if you get stymied a little bit, that allows you to sit back and read. But if you get a good jump, your ears are pinned back and you're going after the quarterback. So those screen games, whether it's the wide receiver screens in the side, and we know in Alabama players and, and Georgia players, they need just a little bit of space to work. They can work. 
So you just know as an offensive guy on both sides of both Georgia or defense, I'm Georgia or Alabama. I know if, I, if I'm a lineman, if I'm a wide receiver down the field, if I'm a tight end, running back, whoever is in the screen, if I could just get my block secured, if I just do my job, we have a chance here to make a big play. So that's going to be a huge key in this game. And I know we will see screens involved with the running backs and the wide receivers and we see some tight end screens in there. Yeah, that would make sense uh, to incorporate that as well. It really would. And uh, in, in looking at this, there is a vast degree of difference between these teams here in the sense of, and you might not have thought this four years ago when they played, but uh, since then, uh, Georgia has not been in the playoffs. It's taken them this long to get back in there. Uh, they'd settled into what was basically, I think, a, a better version of where they were going under Mark Richt, but people were expecting more than that. People were expecting a number of seasons like this one, and you didn't have it until this year. Alabama's the defending champions, uh, and again, for a team that got uh, picked apart pretty good in the draft, they just showed how much depth they had coming back strong this year. And uh, again, I think in looking at it, uh, you can look at it and see that this Alabama team, I think to me and to a lot of people, not as good as last year's one, but last year's team might have been a team for the ages. So in looking at this, Georgia, little to no part of that roster was involved with anything when they were last in the championship game. And even if they were, they would have just been freshmen at that time and probably a more marginal part of things here. So Alabama year in and year out playing games like this versus Georgia where pretty much everybody that was involved in the last cycle is pretty much out of the system, I think. How big of a degree of difference do you think that is between there as, as far as the mindset and as far as an advantage for Alabama that their guys are they're used to this? They've done this before. Alabama, as you say, is year in and year out, and that, that definitely helps. And Dick Saban does a great job of being able to say, last year's team is last year's team. This year's team is this year's team. You didn't accomplish nothing last year, that type of deal. Everything is in front of you for this year. So he's very good with that, but having that experience is huge because you notice like guys got in there and they played. Georgia, on the other hand, I mean, they got the perfect name. Dogs. They got dogs on that side, of, uh, especially on the defensive side. And I mean the dogs in a good way. Mm-hmm. I love being I, I like to, to try to be that type of player. A guy that just loves the game of football, lays his body on the line for his team, makes these smart decisions, going out there and just playing your, your heart out for 60 minutes, and then if it requires more, more than that. And Georgia has guys like that that fly around. They got first-round picks all over that field. And that's where I can see if Georgia tones in, they see this game plan that Alabama's coming at them, it's going to allow them to feel confident and just start flying around and making plays on that defensive side. And honestly, I think this game, at the end of the day, is going to come down to either one or two mistakes that either Alabama or Georgia make, and that's going to determine it at the end. Where it's like, where this team even pulled away, or it's going to be the where it comes down to the end, where at the end of the game, where it's that one last drive of the moment. If I didn't make that one or two mistakes. I agree with you. I think it's really going to come down to it there at the end. And as I look at it, I mean, gun to my head, I would just kind of be like, okay, it's, it's Nick Saban. There's a little more pedigree at, at quarterback, you have the winning experience year in and year out. And I, I say this as somebody where, I mean, on a fan level, there's no question in my mind I'll be rooting for Georgia because I'm like a lot of people in this country that have Alabama fatigue. Uh, so maybe this is a little bit of reverse jinx. But 
end of the day, I look at it, and if there's a gun to my head, I guess I say 27-24 Alabama. I kind of lean in that direction. What's your general sense on what the outcome might be as you look at it as of today, Eric? Sounds like you're looking for some parity, huh? <laughs> yeah. Mix it up a little bit. But um, I would say, honestly, looking at it today, the way that the storyline is going, I can't go against Bama. I think Sadie's going to have those guys ready to go. They are calling, they called themselves the underdogs in the first game when we knew damn well they were not underdogs. <laughs> you know, in that first game, but having that attitude and that mindset that you, hey, you may tell the world that and we may look at it and just say, ah, yeah, right. But if you get those 100 guys that, in that, that are in that room with them on a daily basis to truly believe that, that's all that matters. Yes. And Saban does a great job with that. So I think, you know, a game like this, you're 30, 31, 24. At the end of the day, Alabama finds a way to pull away and make that big play in the early in the fourth quarter and just control the game after that. I agree with you, and uh, as much as I uh, dearly hope that we are both uh, wrong in this, uh, but again, neither one of us is saying we think this for sure or anything like that, just that what might be most likely here today, because again, it should be a very close game, could go either way, and uh, should be, as you said, I think a classic to be able to watch. I think that uh, prediction by you is absolutely spot on. This is going to be one we remember, I think, for a long time to come. And uh, a game like this uh, has to have a conversation like this to be worthy of it. And I'm so happy to be able to do this, uh, Eric. Thank you so much for coming back on our show to do the breakdown with us today. I appreciate you guys having me. Oh, we appreciate having you, Eric. And I just want to say again, uh, the great books here, uh, The Victoria Story of Eric LeGrand, and also Believe, My Faith in the Tackle that Changed My Life, author, entrepreneur, sports analyst, motivational speaker. We could go on and on. Eric LeGrand, thank you so much, sir. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to this mini-episode of the FDH Lounge.